0: Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK.
1: Yo, what's up, Rush Nation? We are back. It is another Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's a Thursday, and as you can see, it is me and the big man ish. My brother from another mother. How you doing, man?
0: I'm here. <laughs> 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 it's been a long time. Uh, I know I dropped a couple of pods last week, but this is this is the longest hiatus I've had in six no years. Worries. Six years. I was thinking about it. So, oh mate, it's some lovely messages coming through already. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Dustin, Stephen. Um, there's a few things I'll say in a bit, but yeah, it's so good to be back um i've yeah it's been awful it's been a crap year uh but it's so good to be back i am feeling better I, i'm not gonna sit here and say i'm 100 percent well i'm not i'm probably about 75 percent um there's still some strength and stamina and bits and pieces it's still a bit of a struggle to get out and about in a while i went to london yesterday and i came back i was absolutely knackered um <laughs> so there's just things like that that you know like take some getting used to but you got to get out there. You got to push yourself. I have got to live my life. I've spent too much of it indoors in bed, etc. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing better. Medication is working. Um, it's just getting used to my new body and getting used to bits and pieces. But it's so good to be back. It's so good to be back with you, my friend. Yes, you sort of came back, and then I literally pretty much been on IR <laughs> since you've been back, and it's been a bit start start. So we're a bit behind on this season. But hey, well, it doesn't it matter.
1: Is- we're here now. If you were going to pick, I know you didn't pick it, but if there was a time for you to have have had a hiatus, it was exactly basically when you did, because we're in that point of the season where fantasy football is pretty much at a standstill anyway, apart from the recent news of the last week or so. Before that, everyone had exploded into their rookie drafts. Most of them were done. Uh, The Scott Fishbowl started, which is the unofficial start of the fantasy season, and you were just like that bit in between where it was, you know, the, not the perfect time, but for there to be a perfect time, you pretty much pick the window perfectly.
0: Yeah, uh, sort of, but obviously there was a lot of knock-on effect and impact to that, like um, right, the playbook, which is kind of half finished. I don't think I'm going to finish it, to be honest. I think um, it's going to be too long to get it out um, <clears throat> in time for the season, and I think it will be dated. So I'm going to think about what to do with it. I'm probably going to put it out, but I'll probably not put it out for sale probably think about putting it out in a form of maybe like essays i'm yet to think about it i'll have a think but i'll put it out in some form um i think there'll be some content in there that's really useful but it's a bit of a shame um but that you know life gets in the way but hey it is what it is um there are a few shout outs i'm i'm gonna make um here uh there's a couple of people watching Stephen, uh, steven he's we dropped a message uh, on here steven's running an awesome charity tournament at the moment uh, for motor neuron disease, Scotland. Um, and he's raised a good amount of money for them. So I just wanted to give him a shout out, you know, awesome job he's doing. i I'm, might be on the clock at some point, uh, when that, uh, when we're on the show, but I'll probably wait till afterwards. Cause it is an eight hour clock. Um, in that same league, um, is johnny johnny it's uh it was his birthday last week so uh happy belated birthday to him um i know he's watching so i wanted to just wish him a happy birthday uh belated birthday both of those guys bought five-year rush merch as well there are two five-year rush merch guys who got their merch last week so massive respect for buying those and glad you're uh enjoying the teas um and then just a shout out to the guys running chariates of Fish, um obviously running making a lot a lot of money um uh, but also Greg at Warrior Bowl, Matt uh, for JTT Cup, uh, Jack for his um, Steve Rains Bowl in honor of his friend Steve Rains. And if you don't uh, know the story of Steve, then you know check in with Jack or look at his Twitter uh, and find out about Steve. Steve is someone that both Stocks and I sort of knew through the community uh, who passed away a few years ago through cancer uh, in his late 30s. So terrible, terrible loss. Um, so there yeah, are lots of cool charity leagues at the moment. There's more that people are running that if I sat here and mentioned them all beer all night, but just shout out to those guys. Cause those leagues are either ongoing or just finishing up. So shout out to those guys for running awesome, awesome leagues. And then obviously the FFCC starts Monday. So, um, a massive thank you to everyone that has donated 97% of the field has donated, which is incredible. Um, we are 30 pounds from our goal, um, which is awesome. So, um, we should hit that by, by the start of the tournament, which we've never done before. So, uh, it's an awesome effort, um, to get there. And I know that we did the podcast last week from, uh, Bob at, uh, the MPS society, um, which got a bit emotional. I hope if you, if you get a chance, have a chance to listen to where your money is going and, uh, the work they're doing. And, uh, you know, I didn't specifically talk about, um, dynasty Island, rich cooling on there. Um, because it's kind of not my story to tell. It's it's riches, but he's been very open, and honest on Twitter about it. He sent us a message today, didn't he? Stocks uh, just mm-hmm. appreciate. the Money we've raised. Um, that money that we've raised, that near five thousand pounds, is uh, is going to make a, a huge difference to that that uh, society, that charity. It's going to fund a hundred, uh, sorry, twenty five families for a year to get support, which is huge. This is twenty five right. families who are going to be able to get support with this. Life-limiting terminal disease, and I just think this community is awesome that they have put their hands in their pockets at a time we've got an, uh, you know a cost of living crisis. We've got uh, lots of things going on, prices going up, and people put their hands in their pockets to to donate. So thank you very much from the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of everyone's heart uh, here at Five Year Rush for donating. And uh, last thing is our listener league. So if you missed out on the FFCC, then we are still doing our Listener Leagues. um, I'll put a link in the the chat if you're watching this live uh, to our Listener League um, forms, and you can go ahead and sign up. They are filling very quickly, and then I'm going to open this up to the folks on Twitter probably at some point, either tomorrow or Saturday, uh, just to get these last ones filled. Um, The one for me, if I importance is like the auction there's two spots left we have a draft date of 9th of august so if you're looking to do a live auction 9th of august 8 p.m come join me there's a lot of really cool folks in the community that are, are doing that
1: if um if you are watching on the video this is a little sneak peek of potentially next season's design there are only two of these in existence at the moment Murph and I have one each. but this is the back of my hoodie. I don't know whether you, you can see this or not, but there it is. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty sick. Um, little snippet if you're watching there. If you're not and you're listening, should have been watching. Which, uh, head over to YouTube, hit the like and subscribe, and then you can come see the content which you don't get through your ear holes.
0: That's right. And you can start to see at some point, so this, I'm in a different room. If you've been watching the streams for a while, you'll notice I'm in a different room. This is going to become my office. Originally, it wasn't. Originally, I was in a room that I was using as my office. We're going to convert that into... So at some point, I'm going to put some jerseys and uh, posters and stuff like that. In fact, uh, I can't get it out. It's a bit wedged. But I actually have something that Stocks gave me as a present a while ago that I'm going to get oh. up as well.
1: Yes, I remember it well. I, I don't even think happened. it's what
0: you're thinking of. What? Really? Yeah, I mean, you're thinking of the five-yard montage that you put together the five yard painting. Or are you thinking of the um, my time at Tottenham frame that you made me? Because that's what I was referring to. Uh, that's not what I was thinking of. You thinking of the five yard
1: yeah I was yeah. Well yeah. there you go you've got so but awesome. both will be up through the seasons you can change it.
0: <laughs> well there'd be plenty there's plenty of room behind me so fill that. up. Uh, anyway. But yeah let's get on with the regular schedule programming. I just wanted to get that out there. Uh, while we could so
1: scheduled programming I love that it's like a <laughs> 90s throwback well yeah. there's, there's been some news Murph we with it being a Thursday we do tend to be a little bit behind the news but obviously you and I have insight on this start with the Saquon deal one year 11 million 10 million and then what 750 ish thousand in incentives um, which works out about a million less than the franchise tag I think if you'd have signed that something like that right
0: yeah, it, it's kind of a little bit less in the franchise tag, but it, it, the way it kind of structures out, it still works out pretty well for him. He's still going to get very well paid. Um, I think there's some um, insurance on, I don't know this for sure, but I think there's some in, uh, injury guarantees in there, which is why he's agreed to take a little bit less. Um because there's a bit more protection for him uh, against injury. That's my understanding of that. So I don't necessarily would say take that as gospel. But um, yeah, there's some... It's interesting, obviously, and this sort of branches out to this whole debate about uh, running backs at the moment. Are they undervalued? Are they paid what they're worth, given they have a shorter career than most? and, And given that their market is genuine, like... You know, un, well, viewed as a lot less necessary compared to other positions. Yep. Excuse me, in the NFL, um, and this led to a piece of item news where a lot of running backs had a Zoom call and voiced their uh, opinions uh, about it. I mean, it's it's a tough one, really, because there's the side of it that goes absolutely they're grossly underpaid in comparison to other positions, given the risk and the workload that they do. On the other hand. They signed a collective bargaining agreement not that long ago mm-hmm. and locked it in for several years. And I don't think you can argue. I don't like this argument that about certain players should get paid more than other players based on the position. You're always going to get that bias with the quarterback because of the leadership and they are kind of the focal point. But And, and I, I do think that running backs aren't generally underpaid but having said that, I don't think you can bring in a a collective bargaining agreement where you pay people per position. Because I think what that's going to do is that's going to then push college players into certain positions and you'll end up having players not be paid or not play certain positions because they know that's going to be a lower barrier to entry. Whereas, you know, the top running backs in the league can earn elite money. Um, it does happen, just doesn't happen often. Um, So yeah It's a tough one But but you do have some running backs get paid less than kickers
1: (laughs) But is that not Is that not a ratio Of player to position to Average salary That dictates that because there is only One I say one there's obviously several rostered but there is only One main kicker per team per season So there are more than 32 running backs throughout the league Right
0: Partially, and I and I think kickers have value, right? If you're a good kicker like Justin Tucker, and you're one of the best to ever do it, there's a there's a value to him that arguably is more than a running back because to replace Justin Tucker is a lot harder than it is to replace J.K. Dobbins on the same team. Yep. because as you say, there's more running backs, but also there's more coming through. Um, the college system and the college ranks. So the chances of you signing, and then, and this is where it doesn't help their case over the last few years. And we'll get into this at some point later in the show. Is this running back by committee approach, where the standard there aren't that many players that are getting those three hundred touches a year that that they were, and so there aren't that many players that are the bell cow or are the elite player uh, at the position. So they, when they're sharing the workload, how can you argue that a player who carries the ball you know that has 200 touches is worth 10 million a year um it's it's much harder to argue and that's the the route that most offensive coordinators are going because of the amount of injuries of the position because of the fact that yes whilst there are running backs coming through at the college system there aren't that many elite players anymore because most of them are in a running back by committee position at college Mm -hmm. you know you look at alabama you look at all these top schools they have two or three running backs That share the workload. They don't have, you know. There is the odd bell cow, but there aren't there aren't as many as they used to be five years ago. And so, you know, people people sit here and think that the college game mirrors the NFL. It's actually the other way around. The NFL coordinators are mirroring the college game. And so, this running back by committee approach is happening because there's more reliability if you have two or three guys. I mean, you look at let's take the Philadelphia Eagles. Their roster this season, they trade. For DeAndre Swift, but they also signed Rashard Penny. They also have Kenneth Gamewell. They also have Boston Scott. I mean, they are very, very deep at running back. They have four guys. Who you got two guys that were starters on that team? One that you got four, two. Well, I mean, Swift was a high second, I believe. Penny was a first round pick. Gamewell was he slid in the draft, but he was pretty well valued. Yeah. Um. You, know, you have guys with pretty decent draft value in there, and they're going to be splitting a role. Uh, there's, and there's so many teams like that in the NFL now. There aren't that many sort of bell cows. There's only a few, and it's kind of difficult for the – and then whenever you do pay these running backs, um, look at Zeke Elliott. His contract was borderline a disaster. They cut him, and they've eaten the money because his efficiency has gone down because – these players get paid their rookie contract is 22 21 22 to 25 26 and then their career's over at 28 so you just pay these guys at 25 26 years old and then by the time they get to 27 they're already on the decline they're pretty much done of the tires gone and you've got these guys who are 28 years old now they're pretty much finished you don't get many 30 year old running backs in the nfl So when these guys do look at these next contracts, they're not valued that much because they haven't got long left. They're at the end of their career. It's like paying paying a veteran in the final years of their NFL career because they don't last as long. And that's the running back's point is they should earn more money at the beginning because their career is so much shorter. But that's why it's so hard. But you can't say a running back rookie should earn more than any other position. I don't think you can say that. I don't think that's that's a fair route to go down. You appreciate that their position's short, but any player can get injured. Tackle, quarterback, they're all dangerous positions. Cornerback. These players get injured all the time. We saw cornerbacks go down today in practice. Jalen Ramsey's gone down injured. So you can't sit here and say that the running back position merits it, even though they do deserve a rise of some sort, but it just needs to be a natural market adjustment. Buy ownership, to pay them more couple million a year, three million a year more, whatever it is, somewhere that, that kind of moves them from the grossly underpaid but doesn't put them to the point where they're overpaid. There has to be a compromise somewhere but I don't know how they reach that.
1: Yeah, no, that's the tricky bit, finding that middle ground where we can say, yeah, we get to that point but they're not more expensive than this position is and it's it's difficult to work out the juxtaposition between the two And because whatever you do whether you pay them more or you pay everyone else less, and even it, there is never going to be... Every, somebody is always going to be upset somewhere along the line. Yeah, of course they are. So it, it's just natural that... that
0: it's, it's a very, natural. very difficult thing to do, and you're messing with people's money. Money money makes things really difficult. And like it, it just gets to the point now where you, something has to be done. And the players think that holding out or holding meetings is, is the way to go. I don't know what the answer is. That tends to work for some people, not all. I think ultimately... It has to be done either on a case by case basis or there has to be some kind of market adjustment where we pay these guys a little bit more. But I don't think they deserve the 10, 12 million a year because I think the position isn't going to warrant that because I don't think you're going to have many guys that are going to be the sole bell cow players. I mean, I think if you're the elite of the position, I think that's fine. I think if you're the Christian McCaffreys, the Derek Henrys, and someone offers you that kind of money, then fair enough. But I don't those guys are the exception. They're not the norm. I think there has to be a, a But then most of these guys are earning one to three million a year. And I don't think that's enough. I think they need to earn five million a year. It probably seems like for a lead back, a fair rate and three and a half million, four million for a secondary back who's going to get a lot of work seems fair. And then you scale it down. I think there has to be something in place, but I don't know how you would get to that.
1: Yeah. And we might see that there's with the elite players, especially, we might see that there's a drop off in their, in their want for more money when it comes to NIL in college, because you get someone like Bijan who where NIL now is is far more superior than it was when he started his collegiate career, the NIL deals will, you know, be much bigger for them. So when they do come into the NFL, yes, their career is less, but they've earned a lot more money in college through being this Bijan like player at Texas, for instance, or something like that.
0: I mean I, I have an issue with the NIL deals. Um I have a massive problem with them because they're not going to be regulated. And I think that's my issue with it. Now, if you were getting, if a player was being signed up to a brand specifically, I think, okay, I can, I can, let's say, for example, uh, you know, a running back signs up and he's the face of, I don't know, Gucci, weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd have a problem with that, but the, it's it, these nil deals are unregulated. So what this is, and what this is going to be, is college financial doping. What what the league is now doing, or what college is now doing, and what it's done for years is, it's always had this. We've always had doping. We've always had the top colleges doing underhanded things to attract talent. Alabama. Especially the SEC. And I, I'm an SEC guy. I'm not sitting here slandering the, SS, the SEC teams. Florida are just as guilty as, as anybody over the years. Tennessee used to put money in Happy Meal boxes. Um, Alabama have done loads and loads of things in the past. Uh, Florida have done it on, you know, every SEC team has done it. Big Ten teams, we know Ohio State, have certainly been guilty of um, paying players under the table unofficially money for parents and etc what the nil is going to do is these rich financial boosters of these big colleges are now going to effectively buy the talent so what's going to happen is we were seeing for a while players starting to pick lower schools show their talent and hopefully get a move to a bigger school through the transfer portal so they might go to a boise state they might go to a Uh, A florida international university. They might go to a florida atlantic Knowing that they were going to be a big fish in a small pond put some tape up And then maybe in their year last year or two They might get a transfer to an auburn or or somewhere like that and back themselves That's not going to happen now. These players are going to get booster money big money to go and Play for the big colleges and they're going to sit because they're going to attract so much talent that not all the players can play. And so what you're going to happen is you're going to have players not play, not have players fulfill their potential, but they're going to earn a lot of money. Yep. And the, the bigger teams in college will get bigger and the smaller teams in college will get smaller. The golf will continue to grow and it'll be completely unregulated. And, you know, NIL for me was image rights for the NCAA game. Um, they should earn money off that. If they want to sell their shirts, they should be able to do that. If they want to sell signed cards of themselves, they should be. That, for me, was the whole point of the NIL lawsuit, was that these players were getting fined, kicked off teams for trying to earn a little bit of money off their own self. And this, they weren't looking for big money. They were looking for money to pay for food and a little bit for their family, um, some expenses, whatever, right? But they were selling shirts. They were selling tickets. Maybe the tickets is a bit of a gray area because they're not paying for them. But definitely like cards, like signed cards. Why can't they sell signed cards of themselves? Like I don't see that as a problem. I see that as entrepreneurship. Like if they want to sell merchandise of themselves and people are going to pay for it and it's all legal and above board, I don't see how that's a problem. And that for me was where NIL was like, okay, fine. But now we've opened it to where a booster at Ohio State can give the top number one ranked quarterback in the country $500,000 as a sponsorship. And, oh, by the way, the condition of that is you come and play for Ohio State. Whatever college is going to be in the running for that, you're just buying talent. And I think that's where I have a big problem with it. And they're going to need to regulate it and regulate it fast because it's 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 just financial doping.
1: Yeah, it is. and it's the Wild West out there already. I mean, we saw it pretty much straight away as soon as NIL came in. Quinn Newers was the highest prospect in his draft, um, sorry, in his, in his high school in class. class. He played early, came out to go to Ohio State, as you just mentioned. I think he, I think it was Chevrolet or something he gave him $1.2 million or to yeah. as their NIL deal. I don't know whether that was with Ohio State or not. He came out a year early, was never going to start Ohio State behind uh, Justin Fields, CJ Stroud, and then a couple of others. So had his one year at Ohio State, got his one point two million and his couple of chevys, and then bailed for Texas, where he 's still playing fantastically, and he 's made now one point two million and you know so and then I think this week i 've seen somewhere where somebody 's girlfriend who isn 't even a collegiate athlete, has signed an n o l deal through her boyfriend who's a quarterback somewhere maybe I can't, it's not arch Manning it's somebody like that their girlfriend has done a deal with something like Billow or. And she's not even an athlete. So like, how how is that an NIL deal? Like <laughs> you're just the partner of an athlete. Like it, it's...
0: I it just that? And this is this is what I mean. This is where it gets a, a bit silly for me, and it leads to the transfer portal as well, which is an absolute mess. I liked the idea of the transfer portal, but now it's just again the wild west. That people can yeah. just go absolutely anywhere. There's no consequence to your decision. Oh, I'm going to go somewhere. Oh, I'm not going to play. Okay, well then I'll just redshirt and then I'll transfer somewhere else. Like it's just. It's all got a bit silly, um, yeah. you know. I don't, I'm not saying the old system was was perfect; far from it. it. But it stopped a lot of the silliness that we're getting now. But that's college football. Um, I think you're right. I think NIL will change the landscape a little bit towards these future running backs, but it doesn't solve those that are in the league now. And I get why the players in the league now have a have an issue. But yeah,
1: I mean, Antonio I think at the did, end of the
0: day, they've got a they've got they're kind of stuck. They've got a signed agreement. They either play or don't play. It's that, it's okay. that simple. Um, I yeah. don't think they've really got any choice now. Yeah. I think you've got to play, put the performances out there and get pegged. And you mentioned players not playing a position
1: to then come to the NFL to make sure they guarantee more money by having a long career. We saw the flip with Antonio Gibson. I think he was a wide receiver in college, tried out for the running that position at the Combine and then ended up being drafted by Washington as a running back. Um and
0: apparently Well he played well. both. He played. he did he was an auxiliary who he was technically a running back in college, but he did have wide receiver traits. He did go out wide and he actually flashed as a wide receiver. And I think he wanted to be drafted as a wide receiver, but he was too big. Yeah. Um he was too big and ultimately we are where we are, uh with, with Antonio Gibson. But I think it's it's definitely one that's gonna go on. Um but then I think we'll see what happens going into it. But The running back position continues to dominate football camp. It's gonna. It it, to be honest, it's a nice segue into looking at at 2022 because we wanted to do this show about lessons from 2022. And I, for me, it's really interesting. So, like when I sat there at the end of the season, the thought was drafted too many running backs, drafted too too high, too early. And I think what's happened is group think through the summer has now led to this thought that running backs aren't worth drafting anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are scared. And I think there's, it's kind of gone too far the other way. And so I wanted to do this show because I think I wanted to start with that, but I think there's some real lessons from 2022 that I think people should know. And they're lessons from both of us, like uh, lessons that I've learned lessons that you've learned, but also, things that you can take forward in 2023 um because i think the market is and players have overcorrected and i think it's gone too far the other way in a few of these scenarios and i think to the point now i actually think there's some <laughs> there's some value to sticking to your 2022 strategy to it a, a little bit with a tweak because i think you'll get significant value there. but we'll get into it do you want to start or do you want me to start
1: um so when you suggested we did this show, uh, show I, I mean, the 22 season was so far... It was so long ago, and so much has happened in, in both our lives, but my life, fantasy-wise, because I was still, you know, off the fantasy train at that point, looking back at the 22 season, my head is just like... <laughs> like what, I, what was good? What did I do? What didn't I do? And the, the two teams that I have that are good are basically the same team. So things that work in that were obviously good for me. And then the rest was like, well, did I do this? And didn't I do that? But I think, I think if you start, I can sort of coattail off
0: of your start and we can snowball from there. Yeah. Okay. So that's, I mean, no, we've been talking about running backs. So let's stick with, let's stick with running backs. Cause I think, I think it's important to, for me, this is kind of the big takeaway, right? So last year, In the opening round of ADP, nine running backs had a first round ADP. And then you had Nick Chubb at 14. So you had 10 running backs in the opening 14 picks. And so what's happened now is most of those players got injured. Jonathan Taylor injured. Derek Henry injured. Darwin Cook down here sort of injured. but He was sort of back Najee Harris down year, John Mixon was okay. Alvin Kamara down year, John Swift injured. Um, So you had injuries and down years, and effectively a few of these players actually returned their ADP. Um, Christian McCaffrey, um, Austin Eckler were the kind of two that returned their ADP, and no one else did. The problem with what people were doing last year myself to a degree included there was a this thought about running back scarcity there's not many of these bell cow backs you need to have one of them to win on your roster and so therefore the price of these players went up um and the other thing is we chased performance which is kind of what he did so jonathan taylor has a massive year so we draft Jonathan Taylor as the 101, he gets injured, and then everyone's like, okay, he's washed now because he's got an injury. The problem that we have, and and I kind of alluded to this already, we like drafting older running backs because we're drafting on previous performance. So when you look at the running back going last year, you're Christian McCaffrey, in age 26 year, he's now age 27. So he's approaching that magic 28 pretty much off a cliff. Yeah, uh, Austin Eckler, 27. Um, again, he had great years. So you can't argue it, but at the end of the day, he's 28 now. So there's a concern. Derek Henry is now 29, but he was 28. Uh, um, Alvin Kamara is well. is going into his age 27 year. Alvin Kamara is age 20 year. You know, these are the guys, the, the high end players. Joe Mixon, age 27 year. So, these are the guys that are being heavily last year at their ages. And we're sitting there looking, going, Wow, these guys all got hurt. Yeah, they got a lot of tread on their tires. We know that players who have spent so much time on the field and have run so many routes, we know that they're going to get more likely to get hurt. The older these players get, the more likely they get hurt. So the Christian McCaffrey's of this world, the Austin Eckler's of this world, the Derek Henry's of this world, have a greater propensity to get injured because simply the amount of times they've been tackled. It's not rocket science. But what we've done now is effectively an overcorrection. So we've gone from having 10 players, 10 running backs go in the top 14 picks last year to this year we have five in the top 10 and running back six nick chubb is at 14 so we've dropped four and those six in order are christian mccaffrey's going at the 102 austin eckler's going at the 104 saquon barkley's going at the 108 uh bijon robinson's a rookie's going at the 109 jonathan taylor at the 110 uh and nick chubb at the 203 uh, 202 um, and then you have like studs from last year, like Josh Jacobs. Uh, he's going at 16. And then the next running back off the board, Derek Henry, is now all the way down at 21. So he's almost effectively at the 2-3 the turn. He's there with Pollard. And they're the only running backs in the second round. So I actually look at this and think, okay, there's the Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler argument of, yes, these guys are studs, but also they carry high-risk profiles in terms of uh, age and therefore injury risk. So I can understand the logic of fading those players to uh, to go to a different direction, more likely a wide receiver, because of the fact of their age and the likelihood of them potentially getting injured in that risk-averse Kind of strategy. So I understand the logic of drafting them based on previous performance because they've been studs, but I also understand the logic of fading them. For me personally, if I'm picking in the top four, I'm probably fading them because of their age profile. I just think 27, 28, it's very difficult to sit here and draft them and expect them to play a full season knowing how much tread they've got in their tyres and knowing how much they that the likelihood of them getting injured continues to increase as they get older. So I can understand for me, I'm fading. Whereas last year I'd have been all in because I, I was all in on the position scarcity. I was all in on, you've got to have one of the elite guys to win. We we we've seen last year that you don't need to have an elite running back to win. You've just got to have a very good running back to win. And I think because the value has gone down on so many of these players, like, for me, I know I've just talked about age, but I Derek Henry in the late second just seems like a value. Like, we know he's going to carry the ball 300 times if he's healthy, and he's not costing you a high first. He's costing you a late second. So the risk to reward flips massively. You're talking about a two-time former rushing champion. He, he missed half the season last year. He was back for the playoffs, so we know he's healthy. But actually, in those eight games, he was still trending as a top three, top four running back. So your risk is is less because we know he's already healthy. He's not had that many injuries in his career. Yes, he's 30. But actually, I think at a late second, he becomes a value. Because you think he is just as likely to perform in that Eckler-McCaffrey tier. Is or very close to it to where you're not going to get a significant drop off, but you're paying 18 to 20 picks less. And I think that's a significant discount that I think you can take advantage of. And I think actually that's, that's one way that you can sort of cheat the system where you can pass on a McCaffrey and a McCaffrey and an Eckler and still get yourself an elite player at Derek Henry at, at, at that position of the draft. So,
1: do so. At what point does your Derrick Henry share? So, if you're drafted, like, where in the first round would you have to be drafting to draft a running back to then come back down to grab Derrick Henry in the second for your plan to work? Does that make well,
0: sense? Well, he so he's available at pick 20, 2021. It's kind of where he's going in drafts. So that you're talking late. So really, from the one oh four onwards, he's available to you in the second round.
1: But yeah, but, so but, but what I'm saying is, at what point in the first round would you look to pivot for that wide receiver in the first round to then get Derek Henry in the second? Even though you're slightly paying above value for him, you might have got a wide receiver that you've gone early on in the first because you're fading running back early in the first.
0: So I'm looking at the first round running backs. And for me, I'm looking at this thinking in a one QB league, especially PPR, potentially half PPR,
1: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: I'm more likely to fade running back in the first round. I just don't see the value of any of these first-round running backs. I I lie. McCaffrey and Eckler hold significant value but contain significant risk because of their age. McCaffrey, we know, has already missed quite a bit of time in his career. So, for me, I'm concerned that McCaffrey... I just think the risk at taking McCaffrey at the second or third pick Versus the likelihood of him playing a season, a full season without an injury, I just think I'm more likely to get mileage and better consistency from Jefferson, Chase, or Cooper. Cup. <laughs> I,
1: nice I, team,
0: I, I, yeah, I don't think those. I don't think those three are enough of a drop off from McCaffrey, but all carry. I mean, they all carry significantly less risk. And I think what players have done this year is they've pivoted to wide receiver because of the risk, which is smart. But what has happened, the flip side of that is that it's driven the the running back market so far down because people are now looking at zero RB as a viable approach because so many people won leagues with a zero RB, which is basically not drafting a running back in the first four rounds, that actually... I think you can use a, a modified approach where you can take a running back in the second or third round that is still going to put up enough of a, a significant points advantage at the position of running back one to where I don't think you're missing out. Whereas if we were looking at last year, you were having to take a running back in the first round because nine were going in the first round. Yeah. So you didn't have this this knock-on effect of players, players falling back. You didn't have this running back vacuum in the second third round like if i look at last year so second third round talent last year and by the way some of these names are going to come out and they're going to sound amazing because of where they finished but there was a reason they were where they were um so let's look at uh, third round talent right lennon Fournette didn't have a great year james connor injured zeke elliott didn't have a great year (laughs) um travis Etienne that worked out uh cam acres injured David Montgomery was was pretty good. I told a lot of people to draft David Montgomery. He was beginning of the fourth round. Um, Josh Jacobs was the steal. He was going off the board last year, at running back twenty two. People hated Josh Jacobs last year. People just had written him off. Declined the fifth year option. He was out the door at Vegas. And look at him now. Like he finished, I think running back three last year. Running back two, running back three last year. A great year. Uh, is and he's now you know now he's available in the second round i think he's good value in the second round he's going at pick 16 rb7 um i don't mind taking josh jacobs uh at 16 or round about that range i don't mind taking derrick henry i've got some reservations on pollard but that's preference of choice
1: mm-hmm.
0: remandre stevenson at the top of the third round Brees hall we see how he is with his um injury because he might go on the pup um but if he's fit I for, uh,
1: I, I need to yeah. interject him off the pup. I this is my naivety here. The pup. I thought if you were placed on the pup, you missed the first six games of the season. Is that that's wrong, isn't it? There is. It there is, is at the moment. an deviation of letterage where you go on, you miss the first game.
0: Yeah. So there is there is a period where you can go on the pup, um, but then there's a deadline, and if you're still on the pup by then, you do miss the opening six games.
1: Okay. Cool. Because I, when I saw these players going on and off the pup, like. over the past few days. They've been on, they've been off, they've been on. I was like, all these players are going to miss the first, and then he's back off. I'm like, oh, okay,
0: fair enough. No, no, not yet. So, I think there's more flexible. Yeah, um, but we need to see if he's going to be available for opening day. If he is, then that's fine. If he's going to miss time, then for me, his value takes a bit of a hit. Najee Harris, I think, is a steal at 27, which is RB12, considering he was a first-round talent last year, just had a bad year. That offense was terrible. Mm -hmm. um change of oc which we'll get to travis Etienne, i think is a steal at rb13 he's at pick 33 kenneth walker got some competition there like for me these values just look a lot better to where you can hook a guy like the rb12 is going off the board now in the third round last year at the end of the third round you were getting the rb17 so again all these values are kind of going down off the board which means that you can play it safe in the first round, get yourself an elite wide receiver, have that security, and then still pick up an elite wide uh, running back in the second or the third round, depending on who your preference is and depending on who's available and best player available. And you might go wide receiver, wide receiver, running back. You might go wide receiver, running back, wide receiver. I think last year people were going running back, running back, wide receiver, or running back, wide receiver, running back. And they were taking two running backs in the opening three rounds I think the argument here is that you can take one of those guys in the opening three rounds. And then I think there's even enough value in the fourth rounds to where you can wait till then. Um, Again, if we're looking at values this year, um, fourth round picks, Kenneth Walker, Jamar Gibbs, which I'm not as big on Joe Mixon. We know he might miss some time with disciplinary issues. Aaron Jones. These are all fourth round guys that you can get Damian Pierce, who looks like he's going to be a a workload back, and you're getting him in the late fourth. Yeah, I quite like that. I quite like having him as my RB2 in the late fourth round. You get someone, so you could... You could literally, if you're starting your draft at the beginning, so let's say you're picking at the 104, you've got the opportunity to get yourself Cooper Cup, Derek Henry, and then you could... Decide if you were going to go quarterback here. Um, or if not, you could pick up. So you could pick up, for example, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, if you wanted to go that way here. Um, Allen, if he falls in your draft, could be available here. But then you could go, you know, wide receivers available in this range here. Jalen Waddle, uh, Devonta Smith, uh, Chris Olave, T. Higgins, uh, Metcalf. These are all players you could pick up debo samuel you could go in the third round and then the fourth round pick up damian pierce i think that's a pretty solid opening opening four rounds you've got cooper cup and uh, another top wide receiver with two top running backs i think that's a pretty solid open
1: yeah i I think if you can smash if you can get cooper cup and then you can return a t higgins you've you're very close to two wide receiver ones there, just because yeah. of the Cincinnati production on the wide receiver position. So uh, yeah, and then those two running backs. If you if you were to say that your team had those four players, most people would be like, "Well, what are you in a ten man league or something?" Because you've got a solid, and there will be quarterback value to fall back on in round five if you want to. Yeah. My, the the only thing, Murph, is what do you do if you draft Travis Kelsey in the first? Where do you go in the second? Do you smash a running back? and then come for a wide receiver?
0: Uh, Yeah, that's a a really good question. So, like, Travis Kelsey's going at six. You're going to have to draft really well. You're going to have to really smash the opening. I I think drafting Travis Kelsey at six handicaps your team. I do think that. I think late first, I get it. You're going to have such a significant advantage at tight end, but I think you're going to pay for that in a handicap in other positions. So I think if you're going... If I was so if I was doing that build, I would probably have to to not fall too far behind. And given the value you get a running back, I would probably have to take depending on the value of the board. So obviously all of this is dependent on live draft scenario, taking the best value player on the board. But assuming that the board goes to ADP, I would have to go wide receiver round two, running back round three, and then see what's available round four and think about your pivot. And I think you're probably going to have to go QB round four, round five, if it sticks to ADP, because I think you'll, but I think if you go with Kelsey, you're committing to going light on running back and hoping that you'll pick up guys off the waiver wire or hitting guys late. And there's some mid mid to late round guys like Rashad white, um, Charbonnet, Uh, who are going to give you extreme value in drafts this year. Personally, that's how I view it. Um, And so as a result, I think that there is some later round value to where you can sleep at running back. And I think that's what people are taking advantage of. So they're going wide receiver heavy early and then going with the running back later approach. So maybe taking one RB in the opening four rounds and then hitting RB in those sort of six to six to nine rounds and sort of taking three guys there. So taking a uh, a Charbonnet, a Rashad White, for example, and and sort of pinning their, their hopes on these guys coming, coming good. Uh, Other running backs in that range uh, for this year, I think acres is, is RB 23 based on his injuries. So he's a lot of, uh, he's a guy. A lot of people will pin their hopes on. Rashad White running back 26. He's available at pick 65. Um, Javante Williams, Javante's at RB 27, so pick 72. Pacheco, but he might go on the pup and miss six games. He's RB 28, 73. David Montgomery, who I love at pick, he's RB 29, pick 75. Yeah, he, you really, I, can, I, I mean, like, I get it because they think he's in a share with Gibbs, but I think he's going to get a lot of work. Um, There's a lot of Alvin Kamara, RB31. We know he's going to probably miss four to six games, but we know that he could put together some elite production there. Uh, AJ Dillon, running back 32. The value on running back this year, for me, for the first time in years, it's become an actual value. So where you could actually just take a guy in the opening four rounds and then just smash the value later on. The risk to that, to me, is wide receivers are almost too safe. And I think you're going to get three to five players in your league play that strategy. Because I think they got burned last year with heavy wide receiver. The popular thing is to fade running backs. We're seeing it with the ADP. The ADP is crashing, which suggests to me that a lot of teams are building wide receiver cores. So they're going to build three of their opening four rounds with wide receivers. Now, my problem with this is you're following a pack. And then it becomes a bit of a luck game. You're either going to have to successfully outdraft your opponent, or you're going to have to engineer the draft board to be in the position to get the right players. Because I think if you're on the same strategy as four or five other players, I, I personally hate that because then you're reliant on, there is some skill, but you're reliant on luck. You're reliant on injuries going your way and you're reliant on the right OCs and the right players getting the right calls Mm. uh, going your way. And the other thing for me is once you get past wide receiver 2021, they're all a bit of a much of a muchness in that next tier from 21 to 32. Those guys are going to separate over the season by 20 to 30 points. There's not a big, maybe 40. It's not a huge separator between those next 10 to 12 players. So you're picking, everyone's picking the same strategy and Going to end up with very similar point totals. So, what's going to happen is it's going to be a spike week that's going to elevate you, or your DST is going to fluke you a win, or your kicker is going to fluke you a win. You're going to get a 20 point kick a week, or something like that. And that's kind of what you're relying on. And this is the problem with groupthink. I think we've kind of got into our heads now that like all running backs get injured. You can get value off the waiver of wire, elite performance is down, running back by committee is a thing. And so now what's happened is you've pushed the value of running back down significantly. and We're seeing it in the ADP that people are all following a similar strategy. Whereas for me, I think you've got to come up with something different. I think you're almost, I'm not saying you smash running back as a strategy, but don't get me wrong, if someone went running back three of the opening four rounds, and won their league, wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't shock me because it's a strategy not many people are deploying. I think people have got into this group think. I think the three things people are doing this year, and they've taken this from consensus, is we've got to draft wide receiver early and often as much as possible. We've got to stack our teams. So everyone's reaching for ADP value to get a stack, which in a 12-team, 10-team, 18-team, 14-team league, stacking is nice, but at the same token doesn't hold the same value as being in a uh, a million-pound, million-dollar best ball tournament with... <laughs> hundred thousand teams because you have to do something contrarian and stacking with the with the right stack combinations is 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 a more viable approach. When you say it's more viable, it's about three to four percent more viable. It's an edge, which you need in a massive hundred thousand team tournament or million team tournament, whatever it is. In a 12-team league, it doesn't offer you that much of a significant advantage because if that team gets whooped. You lose as Everywhere. much as you gain, <laughs> yeah, so you carry the risk and it's it's I'm not saying that that stacking your players is something you absolutely shouldn't do, but it's become a trend in a 12 team or a, just a standard redraft league that everybody started doing it. So what happens is that people are reaching for ADP values in order to stack their players in a redraft because they're playing so much more best ball and that's what you would do in a best ball tournament. So now what's happening is you're getting crazy values on players because you're seeing in the ADP, people are trying to pair Josh Allen with Stephon Diggs. They're trying to pair um, Tyreek Hill with Jalen Waddle, or they're trying to pair um, uh, Christian McCaffrey with Debo Samuel. or There's, there's, there's examples all across the shop. Uh, Justin Herbert with Austin Eckler, um, Joe Burrow with... Uh, Jamal Chase. We're seeing this in the ADP correlate where people are reaching for stacks um, to get that stack. And I just think in a 12-team league the advantage isn't there. So, and these are all pending from the lesson. We're supposed to do lessons of 2022. I'll run through them. why well, sort of jot it down in a minute, but well, I'm kind think, of just look, doing your brain dump. Do,
1: I think what we should do is, I think we should have this as our intro part one to the okay. lessons. Because I think like, no disrespect to anybody else and stuff I've listened to, but like, most pods, whoever's putting it out, is the same sort of thing at the moment. And there isn't, for me, this kind of conversational think area that you and I are having now about lessons we learn. Like, I would much rather talk to you about this for a week or two more than yeah. do like ADP battles or something yeah, like that. Makes sense. And I think it's also a good way for selfishly for you and I to get back into the groove and just having a chat you know you and I rather than worrying about other stuff that because we've always just done us we don't have yeah. to copy and and one thing we've always done is at the start of the season try and do stuff that potentially other people aren't doing and you know this think tank the way I'll, I'm not on Twitter and that is hugely known by everybody and if you don't know then you good luck finding me because I ain't there brother um Social media now, whether it be Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, is all so interweaved with fantasy football that, like you say, when when a few people start doing something, it becomes this huge snowball effect. Mm. And we need to branch out from that with a limb that says, well, hold up, guys, like you've mentioned about with these running backs, let's find the value as opposed to just smash the wide receivers in the first round. And I think there is a room for us to explore that avenue.
0: I, I agree. I, let me finish this this thread then because I think there's three things that I think are common themes. I talked about wide receiver early and often fading running back. Stacking players, so getting those stacks, um, I think people are trying to do. And the third thing that they're trying to do, and this is something that I've noticed far too frequently, is people are relying too much on ADP. So what people are doing is people are drafting off the ADP and people care too much about reaches and fates. So what I mean by that is the amount of times. So I, I give you, let, let's go back to my Scott Fishbowl draft, right? I looked at my rankings. I had Debo Samuel and for Scott Fishbowl scoring, I had Debo Samuel as the wide receiver nine in scoring. We're in the late third round, because it's done third round reversal. I'm picking at the 102, so effectively I'm the second to last pick in the third round. The two guys sandwiched between me at the 101 and the 103 are San Francisco 49er fans, for context. Debo Samuel, on my board, is significantly higher valued than the next rated player. On my board. Now I take him at the 311. Now to the world of groupthink, massive reach. Massive reach. To the point where you've got those rate my leagues. It's a hated pick because I've taken him two rounds early. Right? The 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 context of this is no chance he gets back to me at he might have got back to me at the four oh two, which I still would have got killed at. So whether I take him at the 311 or the 402, kind of debatable. He probably would have got back to me at the 402. I didn't want to take the risk. He was my guy on my board. But ultimately, even if he'd gone at the 402, people would still said that was a reach. People would still gone hate that pick. He, you could have got him in the fifth or the sixth. I couldn't have. He would not have been there. He would have gone. Because if he hadn't gone at the 402, he would have gone at the 403. And if not, he certainly would have gone at the five. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't he'd have, gone, he'd have gone in the fifth. I he wasn't coming back to me. So ultimately, yes, I could have taken him at the 402 instead of the three eleven. I didn't want to take the risk. But whatever. I still would have got killed for it at the 402 because people see the ADP and go, oh, You've taken him around above ADP or two rounds. If he you've got to evaluate your players and how you view them. If he is a if he is your guy on your board. Doesn't matter, you take him. If you and if you make the mistake, you own it. It's your team. Like, if Debo Samuel has a crap year, I will take the L. I'll take the L. Like, that's fine. It's on me. No one made me make that pick. No one skewed my thinking into thinking that Debo Samuel um was gonna be like, but I look at what he's done in the past, I look at what he did with Christian McCaffrey in the team last year. He's got elite target share. I knew Brock Purdy was going to be fit. He did great under Brock Purdy at the end of last season. He's going to be an absolute volume stud and he's going to run routes. He's going to be everything. He's going to be all offense on that team. Like for me, he was the cornerstone of my wide receiver core on like, that was my target. I'm happy to reach. People aren't happy to reach. This is what's hilarious. We had this phase three, four, five years ago. And the saying was, go get your guys. Yeah, yeah, and that's what everyone bought into go get your guys and people are too scared now people are too scared to go get their guys because they're like i'm gonna put my team on twitter and uh oh no i'm gonna get killed because i took someone two go. rounds above adp go get your guy if you've got a reason why you're taking your guy you're in the draft twitter isn't you're and this is this group consensus group and i'm not i'm not trying to get into a war with Analysts or anyone else, right? There's so much amazing work out there. And there are people that are going to disagree with my takes the same way I disagree with other people's takes. My concern is, and I'm seeing this more and more in drafts, people are doing the same thing. So people are adopting the same draft strategy, drafting the same players at the same ADP while stacking players. And you've got teams of four or five teams, and go look at some of the, the leagues you've drafted already and go look at the actual draft board by color. And see how many teams have followed a very, very similar pattern. And I guarantee you're going to have four or five teams be on a very similar draft plan in the opening six rounds. And if you're in that band of the other four or five teams, you're going to struggle because you've all kind of cannibalized each other in your own values. Mm. So I think you've got to be a little bit contrarian. I think you've got to look at the, the wider strategy and think about how to be a bit different how to just follow a slightly contrarian. And there is a risk to contrarianism, right? There is a risk. You'll get it wrong. But if you are contrarian in enough leagues with enough different strategies, some of them are going to work. <laughs> yeah. They are. just just the law of averages that some of them are going to work. Yeah. So, like, for me, if you go into a draft plan and you draft the same strategy, drafting similar players with similar profiles in similar leagues, all the way through, and you end up almost offensively going on the draft autopilot, drafting the same team. Oh, I've got a 47% share of Jamar Chase. And then all of a sudden, Jamar Chase goes down. Well, that's 47% of your team's blown up for the season. Yeah,
1: It's very easy to be autonomous in your draft, especially when you have is. your guys as well. Because I know for a yeah. fact that I've done it, I've gone into leagues where I'm thinking, I'm going to do this differently. And then you get to your pick and your guy's doing that. Well, he's my guy. I've got to go for him. And and then you forget that, oh, man, I've already got 15 J.K. Dobbinses, like
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it's listen, I, I, and I don't hate that approach late on. So if you end up drafting Robert Woods in like 24 out of your 27 leagues because he's a 10th to 12th round pick, I don't hate it because there's no value in him. If he's crap, you bin him. Like, I don't hate that. But yeah. the higher up you go, you need to diversify the portfolio a little bit because you run a huge risk. But also, you've just got to look at what other people are doing. Too many people obsess with their own draft strategy and don't think about the wider picture. And you've got to look at the, the board as a value. So, like, I've just talked about my Debo Samuel pick there. So, my Debo Samuel pick is hated across the, the, the world as how can you take him so high. At the end of the day, I have a horizontal and vertical board. I look at what a player value is for me and my rankings in that scoring format. And for me, he stood out as the guy quite easily. Like it it, it was glaringly obvious. That's my rankings and I could be totally wrong. And I'm not sitting here advocating drafting Debo Samuel in the late third round. I I mean, I can, and I'd be happy to, but ultimately (laughs) in in a, in a super flex tight end premium format, it's rich, but I'm willing to own that for me and my team. And if it's wrong, then I'll, I'll take the L. Um, but having said that, if you if you look at your player values and think about where you, you structure your teams, I think about my roster construction and I think about how I'm constructing my teams, I want to have good value across my... I think about replacement-level talent at each position. So like for me, I need to get an RB1 as an RB1, an RB2 is an RB2, a wide receiver one is a wide receiver one, wide receiver two is a wide receiver as a minimum. And you might get two wide receiver ones and you're lucky you have one as one and two and then you might fade tight end or another position or whatever it might be. But ultimately, you've got to think about the replacement value and then that comes into your bench. and You're thinking about, okay, so if I lose J.K. Dobbins, who's my J.K. Dobbins replacement? It's got to be someone who's going to put up decent production to where I'm not going to fall off a cliff. If your next guy after J.K. Dobbins is... I don't know, um, Tank bisbee You're kind of dead, yeah. <laughs> unless you're lucky on the waiver wire. And Gus Edwards is out there, and you pick up Gus Edwards, and you're all right. But you're reliant, and you're gonna have to spend your fab to do it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, for me, I think about where do you get values in drafts, and and that you know, I talk about my Scottish Bowl draft. People look at how I reached on on Debo. I made up with values. I got. Uh, Rashad White in like the seventh or the eighth round. I got Zach Charbonnet in the 12th round. So, you know, you pick up different values in different places of the draft based on what people see <laughs> as a value or as a reach or value, you know, whatever. Like, but ultimately, you got to go get your guys. You yep. get your guys at the values you're comfortable paying. And if you end up winning your league, who gives a toss? Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think you're right in the, the, the putting the league on the Twitter. And, and not only that, people are like, you, they have stuff and documents that they follow. And on Twitter, they are following people whose information they see as gospel. And then when you see somebody reach, they're like, oh, you've reached, you've reached, you shouldn't be doing that. And then people don't want to be put in that position where people are uh, on them and the comments and things because they, you know, they, they don't want to be... People to say that they're doing it wrong, whereas uh, yeah. I, I I draft whoever I want to draft, and I can't put my team on Twitter. And if people in my league want to come at me, I think I know the people in my league well enough to say, "Well, hold up, fellas, this is <laughs> this is me."
0: I will caveat this slightly. I think the UK community is far more supportive. Yeah, yeah, and I think the UK community is far more. It's not visceral, so I think that UK, not just UK analysts, but UK players who comment on teams will tend to be more positive about other people's teams, whether they mean it or not. Um, so people got a nice draft dude and it, they could really hate it, but they're not going to trash it on Twitter because they're not that way. So <laughs> I tend to British. find, yeah, I tend <laughs> to find that uh, British, I you know, and, and British analysts will give more constructive criticism without it being nasty and say, Oh, I might've done this or this, or why did you go in that direction there? And, and use it as a bit of teaching moment, or whatever. But when you get the, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to trash America because a lot of these people are my, not even people are my friends, but I, I love the American fantasy football community. They've accepted me in wide open arms, but you do get these very negative comments from negative players and more. It's more players than analysts um, will sit here and trash drafts or trash takes because they dislike it. And mm. I, you know, I think that dense confidence implies players. I think for me, and I've talked about this for years, you should never wedge yourself to a single strategy, nor should you wedge yourself to a single person or two people's line of thinking. So like people that watch this show, I'm completely humbled and blessed that people take our opinions and apply what we're talking about. But this is why we have these strategic conversations because ultimately for me, when you talk about strategy and strategy concepts, it leads to um, threads that people can pull apart and create their own strategy. So like people who have absorbed the fantasy football content, of uh, fantasy football playbook over the last three years, or absorbed this podcast over the last six years, they sit there and say, I've taken your advice on this. But then actually the way they execute it is very different from the way I would execute it. Because the way that they've interpreted some of the strategies is very different. But they've still used the strategic thinking mm. to come up with that. And I think that's what we do that's different. We're not going to tell you what to do in terms of I'm not going to give you in an hard and fast in this round you take this player in this round you take this player in this round. we'll look at player groupings and say, hey, there's some value here at the running back position in the fourth round. you could look at this guy, this guy, this guy. I like this guy, but you can go down whatever route you like. But and we're talk, but we talking about wider concepts that people can string a strategy or string a, a plan together on based on their rankings, their beliefs, their gut feeling, their luck, their spin of the wheel, however they come about it. Yeah. And I think that's what's different is that whole metaphor of, you know, you can catch a fish for somebody and you can feed them for a day. But if you teach someone the fish, you know, they won't go hungry for a lifetime. <laughs> or whatever the saying is but yeah, i know i've yeah, hashed yeah. it but ultimately we're trying to teach people how to fish we're not just trying to feed them like i think that's the difference so i hope this has been a useful introduction because it's been a bit of a brain dump like this has gone so far off what we're going to talk about but i think it's important because i think a lot of people from what i've seen in drafts are executing very similar strategies so like my my Scott bowl draft for example i can like i race to the board for every pick because it was a very easy decision-making process because I was so far away from the other 11 players. I was so far off the map. My plan and strategy was so different from the other 11 that that will either stand me in really good stead or I'll finish last. But I'll own it. Yeah, I had a great time either way. Like, But I'm either going to finish in the top two or three or I will finish in the bottom two or three. I won't finish in the middle because I was too different from everybody else
1: yeah yeah it has been a brain dump and i think it's a good one as well like you said it's a it's a strategic conversation that we're having and it's stuff that you know not it's good for everybody out there but it's also good for us i think you know Mm. having this conversation i think you unlock stuff within each other that perhaps you didn't know was there and you think, yeah i did think that but actually now i think it's better or worse than i thought it was so um yeah, we've definitely got more parts to this conversation coming, Rush Nation, because we got to, I don't know, point two on our show, Doc Math. So yeah, I think I
0: skipped point one. <laughs>
1: there's, a, there's a whole load left to come. Um, anything else before we uh, jettison this
0: pod out into the big wide world? No, just if you've got any further questions on it, like this is quite higher level stuff in terms of trying to come up with a draft strategy and trying to think about how you're going to execute that strategy, right? It's, it's quite. I don't want to say it's difficult, but it. You know, you got to pick something that you're comfortable with. So I think if you've got questions on it, reach out on the Twitter machine, reach out on Sleeper. However, you want to reach out. Um, people have their ways of finding me. I'm a pretty easy bloke to find and ask questions to. Then, then ask questions. But I think ultimately, I would just be looking at. Do you know the best best advice I can give you? If you want quote unquote homework before we do this again. And I'm going to do the same, okay? So you can hold me accountable to this. I'm going to look at every draft I've been in, or at least a good number, probably not all of them because it's been quite a few. But I will look for a, a good number of drafts, and I will look at the wider board, and I will see how many people adopted similar strategies and where did my strategy sit in with everybody else. Did I draft in a similar fashion to other players? Have I put myself at a disadvantage? and what my takeaways are from that. So just review what you've already done. And if you find you're having a bias towards certain players, stacking, um, picking uh, certain positions in the same round every time, make a chart. I'll do this as well. And we can share results privately. We can share them publicly. We can have a few of you on and talk about it. Um, But let's do it. And then let's see if you're drafting with this unconscious bias where you're picking the same players all the time, or you're picking the same position in every round because you've gone into this group thing. Um, and let's try and dispel this unconscious bias. Let's try and remove that, and let's try and stick to drafting at the best value player at, at at cost. Well, not the cost, but either based on your board or based on what you perceive as value, or alternatively, try and do something different. So, like if you've been doing lots of heavy wide receiver drafts, try and pick one and just think, oh, I'm just gonna flip it. I'm just gonna do heavy running back draft. Just see what happens. Yeah. See how you like the build, see how you like the team. Um, see how see how it does. Is it different? Um I just think it's a useful exercise. So I'm gonna do it. Um I'll report back next week with my drafts and obviously scoring formats and things will change and differ, but you know, let's look at it as an exercise. You do the same rush nation. If you want to share the results with me privately, then feel free. If you want to come on and talk about them publicly, then feel free. We'll schedule you on and we'll get you on and do it for a few minutes. And yeah, let's do it because I think it's a good exercise to let's try and remove that unconscious bias and let's try and free our draft minds up so that when we're drafting, we're drafting a bit more clear and we're drafting differently and we're trying to find those contrarian approaches that could yield more ships come January That's,
1: That's, how what, it's about. That's what it's about Murph, this, has been a, uh, this has been a joyous occasion I should put it that way It's been nice to get back on the, on the pod sphere with you and do one of these again and it was a subject that we could both talk about in a, in a conversational way which is good and the best bit is there's more to come so I'm glad you're back able to pod Otherwise, it wouldn't. I've enjoyed it so
0: much, man. It's it. Do you know what? It feels like I've never been away.
1: Well, that's why we're here. That's why we do it, right? You and I, we're we're back on the roll, baby. Rush Nation, don't forget to follow Murph at Murph underscore NFL or the podcast at Five Rush on Twitter. Follow us on YouTube. If you could hit the subscribe and like button, that would be massive. And don't forget to hit the bell. So when we do go live or when Dynasty go live, you know we're there. Head over to Patreon if you want to support the podcast. We've got some tiers over there if you want some extra content. But, Rush Nation, until next week when we do dispel the drafting bias that has taken over everybody's brains, don't forget keep rushing.